welcome to What a Scream. This is the podcast where I, your host, Ogali Mastoli, chats with a special guest every week about horror films. Um, and in particular, we discuss two films that have to do with a certain uh, subject or theme that I have previously randomly chosen. Um, so I hope everybody is uh, enjoying that come down from Fright Fest. I'm very, very, very jealous of everyone who got to attend it in person this year. Um, I was very lucky that I was invited to do reviews uh, by Moving Pictures Film Club. Um, so I got to see a few of the films beforehand. Um, and it's such a great mix of films. Um, I would like to particularly plug two films. Uh, that is The Sadness, which is an extreme horror film. Um, pretty pretty extreme like on the extreme end of extreme um if that is your kind of thing i definitely would recommend it um and also there was a new zealand film called coming home in the dark which was brilliant i mean i think films from new zealand just kicking out the ballpark every time i love new zealand horror films um but yeah there are my two picks from this year's fright fest um, I know quite a few of the films that were on the lineup are coming on to like Shudder and a few other streaming sites, so keep an eye out for them there. Um, so this week, um, I guess I better introduce the theme. Um, it is now, right, so it's been pointed out to me that a lot of the time I'm like, I'm not a fan of this theme. Um, that was pointed out to me by Sheree from Nightmare on Fear Street, so thanks. Um, funnily enough, this week's theme would probably be my second, no, okay, my third favourite horror subgenre. Um, so, you know, just to make a bit of a difference, I actually like this week's theme. I, I enjoyed it for once. Um, and that is the theme of found footage. Um, I know a lot of people have gripes over it, but I really like it when it's done well. Um, and there's a lot of films that do it really freaking well. So the found footage uh, subgenre is where it's kind of presented as video or film footage and it's, you know, found. Um, the cinematography is usually done by like the actors themselves, like shaky camera work and kind of naturalistic kind of acting. Um, the footage might be raw and uh, kind of complete, or sometimes it has been edited into a narrative by those who found it. Um, so it is mainly used in horror films, a little bit in sci-fi as well. Um, we could say that the very first one was Cannibal Holocaust, which is the um, 1980 Italian cannibal film uh, written by Gianfranco Clerici and directed by Ruggiero Dodato. Um, but then we had the Blair Witch Project, which kind of burst onto the scene and it didn't really start a trend because it was like the only one of its time. Um, but it, it was definitely like, if Cannibal Holocaust was like the grandparent, then the Blair Witch Project was the next generation, the parent. Um, and then the children are like paranormal activity and rep and Cloverfield. Um, so yeah, it, I really like it because I think it adds a lot more realism to it, especially when it's done right, when you're kind of, given a reason for the filming like why are they carrying on filming even though horrific things are starting to happen it's done so freaking well like so well i love it and i think some of the most terrifying films are found footage like don't tell me that you didn't freak out at the first paranormal activity um so yeah that is our theme for the week and i'm so excited because i love this theme um and my guest this week is uh, Chandler Bullock and together we are talking about I guess the the mummy of found footage films which is the Blair Witch Project from 1999 and then one of the offspring which is the zombie film Rep from 2019. 
from 2007. So I would like to welcome to the podcast Chandler Bullock. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. And how is your corner of the world? Uh, it's uh, probably about the same as it is in most corners of the world right now, <laughs> but we're all surviving and doing the best we can. So, I mean, on yeah. my end, in my little my little household, we're doing quite yeah. well. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Um, so would you like to give a brief introduction to who you are and what you do? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, my name is Chandler, as we've already established. Uh, I'm the host <laughs> of the Beauty of Horror podcast, which is a relatively new weekly podcast on the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad network, where I just I kind of dissect horror films through the lens of, is it beautiful? And apply okay. a bit of philosophy on beauty, because that's what I'm working on for my master's thesis. Oh, wow. Kind of just a way for me to procrastinate while still doing the work, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And I get to talk to people, so it's really fun. And that sounds great. Next to that, yeah, I'm a horror writer, host, and I'm also an executive producer at an a immersive event company, I guess is the best way we could describe ourselves these days. Started as an escape room business, but okay. we do like immersive, yeah, games, events, any, anything in person that you can do, real life gaming. All right, okay. And do any of these events kind of uh, focus on horror? Most of them. <laughs> Most of them. I'm so intrigued. I want to tell me more. Tell me more. What is it? Okay. Is it like a like scare acting or is it like more the escape room kind of? So it really depends on the event. So we have a few. Uh, well, right now we have two mainstays and we have one that we're working on that's a little in the hush. hush okay. Side. But the main one that we have that brings in a bit of attention from people is called the Amsterdam Catacombs. I'm Ooh. based here in uh, Amsterdam, the Netherlands. And we have built a catacomb system under a cathedral here in Amsterdam wow. where you are tasked as a team of investigators to go figure out what the hell's going on down there. You get it, wow. you know, we, we make sure that your onboarding is also really immersive. So you have yeah. a character, the whole email is just a character who's writing to you for help and stuff. Yeah. And then, yeah, by the time you get there, it, it's more of an escape room. So okay. you are left to your own devices through most mm -hmm. of it. But as things go along, we've decided to make it just get increasingly more frustrating and frightening. Yeah. So there's a lot of scare acting mixed oh, wow. in with yeah. the escape room experience. That sounds right up my street. Like, <laughs> well, come on over. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Anywhere like I've gone in Europe, I've always looked for like catacombs or something oh. along those lines. So, you know, I've been to like the ones in Edinburgh, I've been to the ones in Paris. Mm -hmm. um, but that sounds amazing. Like that would make like top kind of like hen party or like yes. kind of like that would be my perfect hen party <laughs> for, for any of my bridesmaids that are listening. <laughs> that's what I want to do. Um, yes, that sounds absolutely amazing. And how did you come up with this? Was it just like, oh, we'll do escape rooms, but we'll make it even extra? Well, I've come on to the company in my role of somewhere later in their existence and so mm -hmm. i also came in after the catacombs was already made but i do manage it now yeah and so i spoke a lot with the previous manager and he said mm -hmm. that what they did was they already had a game where it was a bit more traditional that's where our head office is it's one of those places where it's like an old school that's now like a creative studio yeah and we have a basement that we use for the escape room and they're like, oh, we, do, we want to do a new game, but we yeah. want to do a new game in a different location. And the owner was like, I want to do something with horror. Yeah. So we hired our previous manager and they were kind of, you know, checking the place out, checking out Amsterdam. And they heard about the basement area of this church. Yeah. That they, the whole church is defunct. It's all used as an event hall. So you, mm -hmm. you know, for instance, you could have your hen party downstairs and get married right upstairs. You know, like that's, <laughs> that's what you could do. Yeah. Uh, but they were only having like BDSM parties and stuff down right. there because it's really cool to do. Yeah. In a space like this. But the type of people who have BDSM parties don't really pay their rent all the time. <laughs> nor do you have a BDSM party like every night yeah so rent was becoming expensive and they wanted something more regular and we're like whoa, whoa this this thing's for rent this is the weirdest place we've ever heard they looked around and like okay so we're gonna do a catacomb they knew that for sure mm -hmm. based on the location and from there you just start developing your story as you develop the puzzles and try to figure yeah. out how to merge the two together in a cohesive way yeah. that they you know complement each other everything makes sense when you're done yeah that's amazing and what is the name of the company just so you can have a bit of a plug 
Oh, well, the name is Logic Locks. So if ever you're okay. interested, uh, anybody out there, uh, we also do online experiences. So if you are oh, not nice. able to come to Amsterdam, we've actually converted it through, due to COVID. We now have it as an accessibility option, though, for people who can't actually physically be there. That's great. We have an online version of the game, which plays like a found footage horror movie that you can <gasps> control. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, I'm going to sign up for that pretty much <laughs> as I get off this call. Um, that is so cool. And you know what? Like, I know obviously the pandemic is awful and what we're going through is really mm. bad but it has kind of furthered um accessibility for people yes. and for companies also to reach outside of their like kind of um limits where they're kind of local their location limits it has forced companies to be like you know what we can take this online and we can you know that is such a great idea yeah, we. I was just hired as the manager, and then I think about four months in, the pandemic hit. Yeah, we didn't have a lockdown yet, but we were already seeing it coming. Yeah, and we were immediately thinking, like, how are we going to not fold? Every other company yeah. was going to have a problem with it, and so I was there, like, well, I mean, I know a bit about horror movies, so maybe we yeah. can do. That's great. Like that. And yeah, it was really cool to work on that. Uh, it's a lot of work because the actor who yeah. does that is, you know, normally we're maybe acting with you about 20 minutes out of a, a game, but this is like a full two hour thing. Just yeah. talking to you, doing improv. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, So how did you get into horror? And do you remember your first kind of horror experience or the first horror film you ever saw? Uh, I remember most of those things, actually. So yeah. I got into horror mainly through my dad. Uh I didn't know him too well when I was younger because my okay. parents were already separated when I was like two. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he was also a truck driver. So every time he would come by in our area, he'd be like, hey, can I see my kid? And then we would kind of hang out for a day or two. Yeah. And he was that irresponsible parent. It's like, well, I'm here now and this is what's on TV. So I don't <laughs> care. So my first horror movie at the age of three when it aired was Stephen King's It from 1990. Oh my God. And how many years of therapy have you been? <laughs> Zero. I am a fortunate kid. I love the hell out of clowns. So okay. I just thought, because I don't know if you had it in Ireland, but um, do you, have you ever heard of Bozo the Clown? No, I've heard it mentioned though. So Bozo the Clown was kind of like, if you were to take a an arcade and then put a circus show on top of it. So right. you got kids and stuff to do like the skeet ball and everything. Yeah. And, you know, very Price is Right kind of stuff for kids. But then you had a clown who was hosting it. And I just loved it. I thought, you know, hey, this is bright and colorful. And they designed uh, Tim Curry's character to look a lot like Bozo to traumatize people who grew up with Bozo in the 60s. But I grew up with old man Bozo in the 80s and the 90s. So I was just like, Bozo's being weird. And I didn't really. Apparently, only the spider stuff seemed to freak me out when oh, I was really? at that age. Yeah. But the first horror experience, I suppose, when we're talking about being afraid of things, mm -hmm. that probably had to come around the time I was around five or six. And some of my friends were at my mom's work. We were all at this convenience store that she worked at behind the, you know, the, the cash, cash registers. Yeah. And they were just telling me what a werewolf was. Right. Okay. And that just fucked me up yeah that's so funny yeah like i always remember like being a kid as well and it was always less about what i saw on like tv or films and more mm -hmm. about what my friends were telling me or i had this uncle yeah. that was like he was a good bit older than me and i'd always always be like tell me scary stories tell me any tell me ghost stories and that was it. i wasn't sleeping for a week like but exactly. it's so funny how like this folkloric style of tradition is actually sometimes more scary then mm -hmm. and i feel like that's something we're going to touch on with our theme this week as well <laughs> um but yeah that's so funny that how yeah i was just think it's so interesting how like ghost stories and stuff is more frightening than perhaps like the films um but yeah i i've gotten interested in a certain line of like psychology recently which is children and horror films mm. so i want to ask you the question do you think that your love of horror films from an early age has affected you in adult life in either a good way or a bad way? I would say, yes, it has. And I would say in a good way, mm -hmm. I think that the only thing that wasn't done super well is, is that, you know, keep in mind being a child of a divorce and the separations, you know, I had one parent who loved it, one parent who hated it. Mm -hmm. So the parent who loved it wasn't around 
but exposed me to it. The parent yeah. who hated it was like, I'm not going to talk to you about it because I don't even want to talk about it. So yeah. I was just left to be terrified in my bedroom in Mississippi in the middle of the woods, you know? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a lot of, we lived in a lot of places but definitely in a lot of nature so yeah you're you know crap outside and you just don't know what to do with it i think if i had had more so if you're careful with your kids and you really mm -hmm. explain to them and dissect what they just experienced and how they're feeling i think you're actually teaching kids how to process their emotions quite yeah. well because it's for me i was one of the most high tense terrified kids of everything yeah. And for me to be able to be into horror films and actually look for that when I don't do things in real life that frighten me. Yeah. It it shows that on an emotional level, I can probably process just about anything if you give me enough time and care. Yeah. And I do think that that slight shock at an early age can help you get to that point. I'm not saying you should shock the hell out of your kids or traumatize them, but I am saying that early exposure allows mm -hmm. you to have a bigger tolerance for things. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. Um, I I have a three-year-old and I will not be showing him it just yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm, page. <laughs> but I, I, I do want to introduce him to horror because I do feel that horror fans are more, as you said, well-equipped to deal with big emotions. And, mm -hmm. you know, they've said that even through the pandemic, horror fans are better at dealing with what we're going through because they've already kind of not lived through it, but they've already kind of experienced it in a more kind yeah. of um, controlled arena, which is watching films or immersing themselves in horror. So I do want to carry on the tradition of um, my son watching horror. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm always interested in whether there is any bad kind of side effects and i haven't found anyone yet i mean obviously we all hear about like oh the serial killers they were big into horror and violence but what do you think of that kind of take on it i think that's very reductive because i think just about for one just about any human being in the world is in like interested into the psychology of serial killers themselves mm -hmm. so we all have morbid curiosities we're all into things that we shouldn't really be interested in it's <laughs> just human nature so yeah. i'd say that you know it was the morbid curiosity and how to dissect an animal at the age of three that was more <laughs> yeah, that, that's pointing more towards they have some sort of mental health issues that need to be yeah. resolved but just because they like the look of a heavy metal magazine or mm. you know they like to play doom <laughs> i just don't think it really matters yeah and i actually think that if you do all that stuff in media you're far more likely to just get out the like carnal feeling that you're experiencing mm -hmm. at that moment anyway but if you shelter people, which and I, you know, I was really fascinated by serial killers as a teenager. Mm -hmm. I studied a lot more people than I probably should have, and <laughs> a lot of them were just sheltered kids who were yeah. just told, "Don't do this, don't do that. You don't, you can't handle the world," and they just started destroying the world as a result. So I think yeah. the more you shelter people, ugh, the less you're going to know what they're going to do with your input. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so let's move on to our theme for this episode, which um, is the found footage movie. Um, so what are your thoughts on found footage? Are you a fan? I love them. I, yeah, I think that it is one of the most pure ways to do a horror story, in, in mm -hmm. my opinion. It's not my favorite genre by any means, but it's just one that I can always jump into and mm -hmm. just have a bit of fun. And it's probably the only genre to this day that still scares me. Yeah. And why, why is it that it scares you? You already touched on it a little bit. I didn't think of it that way until you said it earlier. But yeah, that folkloric kind of mm -hmm. ghost story element to it. It's really us trying to say like, these tapes were real and they were found in a garbage bin. And you're like, fine, <laughs> urban legend me. I will try to believe that. And if you hold on to this kind of artifice the whole time, it can really get in your head. Yeah. But I think the main thing, uh, it's simple. It's first person. Yeah. And just that makes you more connected to what's going on on screen. Yeah. And it's definitely like a more believable form of storytelling. So mm -hmm. it's like you kind of like almost empathize more with the characters because you know, like, you know, they're just actors. But while you're in that situation of watching this film, they're not just actors to you. They kind of seem like real people. So it's like easier to empathize. And it's just like, I think of all the recent films that have really scared the crap out of me and they've all been found footage. 
Um, and it's just something so immersive about the found footage genre that it just sucks you in. And I think it's that's the best way to give you a scare. Oh, yeah. I just, you know, something about also, it can tease you a lot more using that, mm. that camera and getting real close to the action. You can just like, don't show me, don't show me, don't get yeah. close to it. But you also have the same reactions that you would have with a normal film. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were to be like, don't go in there and don't do these things. But, you know, with a movie in the third dimension, to put it that way, mm-hmm. uh, you would more likely just be talking about the logic of the characters. Whereas yeah. when it's found footage, you're kind of like, I would do this entirely differently. And now I have to experience what it's like to make bad decisions. And it's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what do you think uh, makes a good found? Like, what is the essential points to a good found footage film? Okay. I think good found footage has to do a few things to make it work. For one, you have to create believable characters. So flawed. They shouldn't be speaking too clearly. They shouldn't look too nice. Uh, we need to see these people on their off day. Mm-hmm. basically very candid kind of stuff you also need to establish your technology and the use of your technology really well again don't over establish it because then it's a movie yeah. but if you really just establish somebody's walking in the woods with their phone therefore it looks like a phone mm-hmm. and maybe give me a reason why they're filming everything yeah that's about it for the rest go nuts and i yeah. think that's why I love it so much. You don't know, like, there's no limit to what you can do with the found footage. Movie. Yeah. That last point you made is always really important to me that you have to have a reason for mm-hmm. continuing to film because, you know, if someone's filming, you're like, why are you still filming this? You should be like, get in the fuck out of there. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, there's a few films. There's, um, the the devil's doorway which is an irish found footage film and it's about two priests and they have to keep filming for the vatican um they can't stop filming because it all has to go back to the vatican for them to use this footage and blah 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 blah. but i've seen a few found footage films we were just like what are you doing like stop it stop (laughs) stop filming (laughs) um and i think that's where it's like a really fine line that it can either be a brilliant found footage or a really bad one <laughs> and it doesn't have to be a good reason it's just mm. if if there is no logical reason at the very least i expect the film to address it one yeah. of the movies that we're going to discuss today does this brilliantly mm. that they set up the fact that it isn't logical that yeah thinking, but that's the point the character has a character flaw yeah basically but you take a movie like cloverfield and they're like i don't know and i yeah. love cloverfield all of it looks good and great but that one element of it just feels so this is a hollywood production that looks yes. like a found footage movie yeah i wasn't a big fan of cloverfield um it actually made me feel quite like motion sicknessy kind of. i was I like imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah i just didn't it wasn't believable enough for me like you said it was a bit too hollywood for me right. Um, so let's crack on with our first film. Um, would you like to introduce it and give a, a brief synopsis, please? All right. Uh, I'll do my best. I did not write down a synopsis, so I'm going to have fun. <laughs> We're going to be talking about The Blair Witch Project as our first mm-hmm. film. And so you have three young filmmakers, Heather, Mike, and Josh, who are working on a documentary about The Blair Witch, who is a folkloric figure in Burkittsville. Maryland? Maryland, yeah. Yes, yep. I almost said Maine, but Maryland. <laughs> and they interview a bunch of people about the witch, and they're going to go to the hot spots to just do this kind of like student documentary. And then when they go into the woods to try to find a very specific location, they instantly get lost, mm-hmm. and things start to get really weird. Yes. About the best you can say without dissecting it immediately. Yes. Um, I... I love the Blair Witch. Like I, the first time I saw it, I was so creeped out, like so, and I was quite, you know, I was about 20 odd when I, I watched it. Um, and it just, well, just creeped me out. What What is your thoughts on the Blair Witch? Are you a big fan of it? Huge fan, huge. Uh, it's one of the few films that just consistently creeps me out. And I love the aesthetic of this movie. I love the filmmaking decisions that they put into this movie. It's one of those that I can, yes, I get people are like, well, but it's just a bunch of shaky cam and then somebody falls over. If, if you want to, you know, reduce it to that, I suppose that, that is correct. But I don't need a lot of action in a found footage movie. Yeah. I need a lot of substance and the substance is real if you're paying attention to it. Yeah. I saw it when I was 
probably 15 or 16 around okay. the time it came out. Didn't see it in cinemas, right. but I got it on VHS, which somehow getting a found footage movie on VHS just yes. it enhances everything. Yeah. It, it almost makes the, the it's like an experience then, you know. Yeah. Um, I remember my older sister, uh, she's a good bit older than me, and she saw it when she first came out, but she saw it. So she lived or was in Australia at the time, mm. and they have like massive open air cinemas. Mm. And there was this oh, one cool. particular cinema that was in the middle of a clearing of a woods, and she saw it there. Oh, <laughs> and oh, she God. was just like, oh, dear God, I'm going to die tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but... So when the Blair Witch came out initially, mm -hmm. it, I mean, it wasn't the first found footage film. Obviously we no. had stuff like Cannibal Holocaust before it, but um, it was, and it wasn't like everyone says that it was the found footage film that sparked the found footage when it didn't really, no. it came out in 1999. And then the, I think the next found footage wasn't until Paranormal Activity. I think that was the next big. Yeah, I mean, there were a few attempts, but that was the only one that got, like, studio backing. Yeah, and then that's when the found footage kind of took off. But the Blair Witch Project, the reason it's so unique and such a pinnacle movie in horror was because of its marketing campaign. Yep. Like, Genius. second to none. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the marketing campaign and what you know about it? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're getting firsthand experience here because <laughs> I was a nice, you know, young preteen in 1999 with the internet. <laughs> and we saw shit for this movie everywhere. They had newspaper clippings of, have you seen these people? They had actual news programs talking about it as if it was real. So, you know, fortunately they were responsible enough not to put a full Miranda alert for it, but they did <laughs> actually get newscasters to be like three young filmmakers are still not found lost in yeah. Brookersville, Maryland. And we're like, man, that's a pretty dire situation. Uh, we saw their poster. So the film poster for it before they finally had a proper film poster was just their missing posters that they would put in the cinema sometimes. Yeah. And then of course you had the website that if you were that nerd who was into mm -hmm. the internet before Y2K, <laughs> you could go and see all this information that's supposed to be about a movie. And it's yeah. just all, it kind of felt like one person obsessed about this and we're just, please help us find our family and yeah. it was all so realistically done and they just sprinkled lore throughout yeah. the whole thing and just taught you more and more and more about this folktale so yeah. when you went into the movie you you knew what you were getting into before yeah. it even started yeah i think that's what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about folklore and you know the the film's based on the idea of folklore so we've got yeah. you know the the Blair Witch, um, who was a wrongly accused um, woman, accused of witchcraft, taken into the woods. You know, her legend lives on. It's like this big thing in this town in Maryland. And, you know, they set the whole story up by interviewing people before they go into the woods. And, you know, some of these people's some of these people weren't even actors. They were just random people that they right. were like, hey, just talk about this scary thing for us. Um, and then the smart thing about Blair Witch is it's about folklore and then it became folklore yeah. itself. Like that is so smart. And I can't think, apart from perhaps paranormal activity, but not to the same point, I can't think of another film that has done that. No, I, I could totally see the team behind host doing that, but oh, yes, you know, yeah, yeah. they've, we've only got the first installment, but yeah, those are some crazy geniuses. So I can imagine they're going to mess with us somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Property. Yeah. I mean that, that film host made me terrified to go on zoom. I was like, I Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so <laughs> back to the Blair witch. Um, how did you feel about the initial setup of the film? In what way? So, you know, before they even go into the woods. So it's the first okay, yeah. few. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it goes on a bit, you know, nothing scary happens. And it's like, well, yes, because they have to make mm -hmm. it look real. I was a film nerd even as a kid without realizing I was a film nerd. So yeah. I loved like those. I did not like big budget National Geographic documentaries. I liked yeah. the local documentary that yeah. they made in our local news station. So it had that charm of just yeah. some people slapping shit together. So I really enjoyed it because I thought it was the most genius way for me to get to know these people. Yeah. And keep in mind, I was young. So I believed I was essentially watching a snuff film. I yeah. really believed that it was, or at least there's a part of me like, I mean, it can't be real, right? I was just kind of doubting it constantly. So 
it, I think it's kind of like when the exorcist starts in Iraq and you're not in a little girl's bedroom immediately. Mm-hmm. People think, did I pick up the right movie? Yeah. What is this? Because there's nothing remotely scary going on. They're just looking at equipment and getting high. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and I was, the moment they started interviewing people, I was enthralled. Yeah. And there's yeah. no mood to it, in my opinion, uh, at least. They don't try to set a tone. They mm-hmm. try to set a realistic tone. So maybe it's also because I my mom made a lot of home videos when I was growing up, and it felt that way. Had that yeah. kind of loss of just daily life. Yeah, I love I, I love the setup of it because, like you said, we introduced these characters, and they're not necessarily likable characters. Like, oh. they're really not, but they're real. Like, they're yes. not likable at all um but they're real like we know people like that and you know we whereas if it was set up like a normal film we'd have to feel empathy for one of the characters or you know we'd have to kind of connect with one but these it's like we're actually watching real people messing around in a supermarket or you know getting their shit together and joking and blah 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 blah. and i feel that that set up is what makes it so immersive and so fucking scary when we get mm-hmm. to you know the ending scene um and yet you almost feel like you're going along with them <laughs> like you're yeah. in the woods with them and i've worked <laughs> i've mentioned this before in a podcast but i'll i'll, I'll mention it again i i've worked on a small found footage film myself and mm-hmm. Uh, it was so silly, but uh, yeah, that was about like, it was like an action thing where they were trying to recreate the hype of Batman Okay. and from knowing how it was made and how we had our rapport and stuff as well, looking mm-hmm. back on the Blair Witch Project, I, I see why it's so genius is because that is what it feels like to make the movie as mm-hmm. well. So all those candid moments probably are Yeah. It's probably just them in their hotel rooms. They gave them a camera and said, Hey, just film whatever bullshit you say. That's right, because the the actors um, they use their real names, yeah. And the um, the directors were like, "Here, look, this is a script, but we want everything to be kind of improvised." Yeah. Um, what do you think um, of the? Well, it's rumors. Nobody really knows if it's true, but of the fact that they kind of terrorize the actors to get them into that state. Do you think that that kind of thing is necessary? I have two minds of this. Um, I do feel if you're making a production and you're dealing with professional actors, take, you know, Kubrick with um, The Shining. You don't need to go to those levels ever, I feel. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's really just being nitpicky and and frankly, probably having (laughs) some hyper focus that you're not letting go of. Yeah. When in this case, I think you're looking for spontaneity. Yeah. So, it depends on what terrorizing entails. And if it is indeed just walking around and snapping twigs around there, <laughs> I would say do it. Cause there's, you know, I, I love improv. We yeah. use a lot of improv at our escape room. And although it's always the same thing over and over again all day, mm-hmm. it's, we can always throw in something you don't expect and yeah. scare the hell out of our fellow actors so yeah. that they are scared along with the players. <laughs> so I do think it's fine. Just maybe get them a good drink and you know have yeah some them afterwards yeah you have a scale of like zero to kubrick like let's yeah. <laughs> let's try and not you know in, in the scale somewhere yeah. no um so let's chat about the horror elements yes. um what makes the blair witch so scary to you hmm i think it's the question mark still the fact that we don't see the whole picture uh-huh. And all the little details that we do get just defy logic. It's not that they're nonsensical. They just defy rational logic, mm-hmm. except for the murders. So the murders is the only part that is just so horrific with those kids yeah. that I commend them on having that be the only visual from the tale that we actually get to see because we yeah. know the ramifications of that. Yeah. What about you? Um. For me as well, it's the unknown. Like I read that the directors were heavily influenced by Jaws. Funnily enough, you wouldn't think they'd be influenced by Jaws, but they were. So what they wanted to do was they didn't want to show the witch. They wanted to keep it. Apparently there was meant to be, um, uh, they were meant to show the witch, but they Mm -hmm. almost forgot to film 
Oh. And they didn't go back and film it. They were just like, ah, feck it, we'll leave it out. But yeah, they didn't want to show the witch or the monster uh, until the end. But I still feel you get that kind of payoff anyway. Yeah. Um, the, re the reason I find it so scary is because there's tiny little things everywhere. It's like the sticks being like hung up in the trees. It's the pile of rocks. It was, um, you know, the bag of teeth that they find teeth. in the bundle. Like that was, yeah. it's something so little. It's just like teeth, but it was like, like, <laughs> no, thank you out of there. And it's the fact that they were just so confused themselves. They were going mm -hmm. around in circles. It was like, is this all in their minds or is something out there? And I think that's what made it scary that when you get that payoff at the end, it's just so fucked up by then that you're like, oh, holy shit. And then obviously, I mean, I remember when I first showed my little sister this film and it finished and she was like, I don't get it. What was the end? And I was like, I was like, do you not remember the guy talking at the very beginning saying about the serial killer who made kids uh, face into the, the corner in the house? Yeah. And I just think that last shot at the end stayed with me for ages afterwards. It stayed with a lot of people. We talk about it all the time at work. I've had it before. Yeah. I was just inspecting something on the wall. And I freaked a guy out. He was like, don't do the Blair Witch thing. Jesus Christ. And he was like, walked away. He was like oh, sorry, I'm actually working over here. Uh, but it's a very dark place. Yeah. Um, I agree with you that it's this combination of things that are so subtle mm -hmm. and so real. That confusion that they have seems very real in a lot of ways, the way they fight. And also, I, okay, I took the initiative today to watch it with headphones on. Yes, I saw your tweet. Yeah, <laughs> that is a fucked up movie to watch with a really good headset on on a Blu-ray because, you know, everything's been improved yeah. and all the little channels and stuff. And the things that I never noticed before that I could finally hear conversations that I couldn't hear before yeah. makes so much of the movie make sense. But it also makes like I never could hear children laughing in one yeah. of the scenes. I only heard like, oh before on my vhs yeah. now you could clearly hear like giggling and yeah. crying and all those subtle noises Whew. uh the sound design <laughs> of this movie i think is one of the strongest parts of it yeah definitely um so what do you think is the blair witch's influence on horror on oh, horror mm. Mm, possibly the lasting impact of less is more Mm -hmm. Since, you know, it was the end of the 90s, in the 80s, we had all this excess. Throughout the 90s, people were focusing more on craft or on mm -hmm. big budget. Those are kind of the two things you got yeah. in the So the Blair Witch was showing you like, well, you don't really need to have yeah. millions upon millions. You don't need to be Spielberg to make a horror movie. Yeah. And you also don't need to go, you know, balls out basically the way they did in the 80s yeah. to make things scary that just the suggestion of things could really get to you but it's something i think that people kind of lost around that time mm -hmm. so i think it jump started and reminded everybody how powerful your own imagination can be yeah absolutely i agree with you and i just feel like it was such perhaps not like an outwardly influence on like massive horror as you said but mm -hmm. the fact that it was like these two indie directors with yeah. you know a budget of about 60 grand and then look at what happened and i feel it was such like a beacon of light for indie directors yes. to be like okay you know what i can do this if they can do it i can do it and oh, yeah. I, yeah i just feel like it had that kind of impact yeah, I really think that, you know, we wouldn't be seeing things like Saw pop up just a few exactly, years later yeah. if this didn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so would you recommend The Blair Witch to horror fans? Any and every horror fan. I don't care what your taste is. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you know, let, let's just get this out here. If you love a very specific kind of horror film and you're not really into slow burns, whatever, you're going to hate it, but you should still watch it. That's, yeah. that's kind of how I feel about it. I think it's quintessential viewing. Then you can go complain about it afterwards. But <laughs> if you do hate it, the challenge is to watch it again once you calm down and yeah. see if you still hate it. Absolutely. I agree. I just feel like it is a lesson in subtle but perfect filmmaking. Yes, absolutely. Um, so let's move on to our second found footage film, which is the Spanish found footage film, Wreck. Um, not the American remake, which is Quarantine, I think. 
quarantine, uh, yes. Yes, I haven't seen it because I just refuse to. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm one of these purists that is like, you know, I heard it was like pretty much a scene for scene remake. So I'm like, nope, I don't need to see it. It's fine. <laughs> it makes the it makes a bigger sin, in my opinion. And that's if you're going to do that kind of scene for scene remake, especially with the found footage movie, uh, don't go for a more family friendly audience when the yeah. original wasn't family friendly. Oh, God. So yeah. They've kind of taken out all of the viscera of the mm, movie. And okay. Just, kept they kept the intensity i will say it, you know for people who had never seen wreck quarantine yeah. is fine it is okay. totally fine but yeah. wreck is an experience oh god <laughs> so. it really is um so wreck is a t 2007 spanish found footage horror film uh directed by jaume balaguero and paco plaza um and it uh has a news reporter and her cameraman and they are following a fire crew um in the city of barcelona and they are kind of shadowing them for the night to find out you know what the average night is like for this uh fire crew i think it's fire crew isn't it um yeah it is. and then they get called to an apartment block and um shit goes south um it turns out that there is something happening that makes people basically turn into zombies or what we'd think would be zombies mm -hmm. um so they are shut into this apartment block everything is shut down all of a sudden they can't get out uh there's like the equivalent of the cdc outside <laughs> saying no you can't come out they're all in hazmat suits um and there is there's like um a chinese family who own the shop downstairs there's you know a, a woman with her child um and there are a few other residents um and yeah basically shit gets bananas um what do you think of wreck are you a fan oh wreck is just so heavy metal i love it it's, it's a good <laughs> it's such a good movie. explanation it's heavy metal <laughs> like it's, it's everything the blair witch project was and they said ah fuck that we're gonna just go in turn it up gonna... to 11. yes <laughs> you're like show don't tell there's no telling in these movies. come on uh i love it and i i will say I've heard people say this before. It's kind of like a, a played out phrase at this point, but it does hit way differently in 2021 than it did when it came out. And from my perspective, it plays out way differently from an American perspective. If, okay. Uh, and I can explain that a little later if you, if you want us to, because there's some specifics about the, uh, the framing of it. Yeah. It actually is in reference to some pretty impactful stuff from 9-11. Okay. Um, I obviously, not being an American, I wouldn't have kind of read into that. I... I love Rick. Um, see, I, I went through a big zombie phase in my teens. I'm sure every teenager does, like go into a zombie phase. And then I fell out of love with the zombie genre. And I haven't gone back because, you, you know, a zombie genre is a bit like the slasher, as in it, it's very formulaic and it's very samey. And it's very rare that you get a zombie film that is different. So I hadn't seen Rick up until literally a couple of months ago oh, wow. and i put it on and it was like someone had melted my face off i was just like holy shit this is <laughs> fucking amazing um i've been to barcelona countless times so i i know barcelona and the way it's set in that apartment block i've mm -hmm. i've been like i've been to places like that i know the layout of that house like the back of my hand because i've been to barcelona so Ooh. much and that just made it even more real for me i right. was like shit this isn't a set this is like this is an actual place yes. and because uh my mother-in-law is spanish so my partner is half spanish we spend a lot of time in spain the way they talk as well it's not like i think you mentioned this earlier when you were talking about like the specifics for found uh footage so in normal films pronunciations vary you know very mm -hmm. uh, clear and proper english whereas when you've got found footage it's just people talking normally um mm -hmm. and so wreck is like that is spanish that is what spanish people sound like when they're just talking and you know so it just felt all that more real to me i think that's why i fucking love wreck so much oh yeah i, I don't even i don't know a lot about spain i've been to madrid once and i can mm. agree that the sort of the way that people treat each other is definitely what I experienced when I was in Madrid. Yeah. And 
the block as well, that the whole apartment building also reminds me of a few places I've been in Germany. So yeah, mm-hmm. the, the realism, if you know Europe at least, yeah. it's totally there. And the, I loved how they put a lot of stereotypes and tropes in their mm-hmm. characters. Very classic type of zombie yeah. lineup of people. You have your foreigners that nobody trusts. You yeah. have your inept doctor who's not really trained, a cop. In this case, you yeah. also have a fireman who's just yeah. kicking ass. So I love that everybody has those different roles, but it doesn't feel stereotypical because that's life, especially yeah. in an apartment building. You get weird people everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what did you want to say about the American kind of take on it? Okay, so the thing that really hit me when I first saw the film was that one of the big things that hit us around 9-11, apart from the event itself, mm-hmm. was they actually aired a documentary few months afterwards because they had to edit it together but there Mm -hmm. was like an nbc crew i think it was nbc uh, americans who are still in america don't kill me if i forget which company it was but a big budget documentary team were doing a piece on the new york fire department it is the exact same setup they weren't being irritating like angela was the entire (laughs) movie but they were very professional but they were just showing day in the life of the probably the most overly like overworked firemen in the entire country and in the midst of them doing it they heard about the first plane so the documentary changes into a documentary about saving people during 9-11 wow they go into the world trade center you see like the rubble you see the glass coming down you see people uh the people who were jumping from a different perspective and you just see these two filmmakers these brothers one's in one building one's in the other building trying to both save people, but also worrying about their brother the entire time. So it's a much different documentary than what it starts out as, which is exactly the premise for Wreck. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, I I didn't know that. That was completely new to me. That, that's kind of changes it (laughs) slightly. (laughs) I think the next time I view it, I'm going to be like, wow. Yeah, Um, it's more intense. (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. And do you think that Wreck and the kind of, like we see after 9-11 we had a lot of like the torture porn kind of came mm-hmm. from it you know yeah. um do you think that wreck kind of came from that same time same kind of influence or do you think it was influenced by other things i think it was more influenced by french extremity actually okay. since just a few years after wreck we got martyrs yes and i think yeah. just a about a year after that, uh, out of, after wreck, we got inside. Mm-hmm. I felt that Spain and France were kind of on the same wavelength, but that might have more to do with regional. You know, I think French okay. extremity is in that torture porn mm. place without the same mentality because Americans mm-hmm. were just pissed. We just yeah. wanted to watch bad people suffer and yeah. get theirs. Whereas Europeans who are watching all of this and seeing the world change are probably seeing far more grief and tragedy through violence. Yeah. So that's where, where Wreck kind of sits for me. I don't feel mm-hmm. that it's relishing in the violence, but I feel that it's using the violence to create the emotion that you're supposed to be experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so w- another thing I really loved about Wreck was the fact that all of the the kind of zombies, the monsters, <laughs> they were they're so visceral and they're yeah. like their screams are horrible. Like it was just like, oh, but they were also like the child and the yeah. old lady. You know, they were like people that you don't really suspect that are going to be as kind of um, monstrous yeah. as they are. And I love it that they're like beating the shit out of these firemen who are meant to be like <laughs> these big macho, you know, I'm going to save the world kind of people. And it's just like this little old zombie lady, like <laughs> being a scary fucking thing like seriously that whole sequence just i don't think i i don't think i took a breath i I was just like (gasps) i love i'm hearing this from somebody who saw it recently for the first time Mm -hmm. because it's so fresh i think i've seen it like five or six times so for me i'm just like oh hell yeah it's like watching you know your favorite comeuppance moment in an action movie but yeah you know so for me it's almost like 80s horror when it's like here's that cool shit yeah um but it's so refreshing to see somebody who's still kind of like, what the hell is this movie doing? Yeah. <laughs> and then I loved that. So you think it's a straightforward zombie film. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. some fucking virus has got out. It's fucking people up. And then we find out <laughs> that um, there is a doctor who took 
um, a patient from Portugal and she yeah. had some form of whatever it was, whether it was kind of like a, an occult thing or we don't really know. And it's turned her into this thing that like, I, I, I still can't describe it. I'm like, what was it? Like, and I haven't seen the sequels and I know that okay. it kind of gets explained a bit more in the sequels, I they, think. Also rewatching Wreck explains it a bit. I don't know if you want okay. me to like give my no go ahead okay. go ahead so because yes they explain this in the sequel but they it just if you rewatch the end of wreck you'll see it again uh you should pay attention closely to the subtitles when they're going through the newspapers yeah that she was put in the hospital after an exorcism oh, so okay yes yes i remember now yeah and she's a normal little girl when she's in the mm. hospital apart from being possessed and yeah he steals her and then they listen to his audio diaries and his tapes and you find out he has linked some sort uh he's made some sort of link between the soul and the human body so it's like he's so deeply devout that he's realized if we have science it's because god gave it to us that means yeah. that all of miracles and stuff work in a scientific way so he's trying to find the enzyme or the genome that creates demonic possession to right. inoculate people from possession so to make a a sort of vaccine against people who are possessed right doing so he actually just fucks shit up even worse because he takes her there she gets too much to handle he throws her into the attic and locks her up and just leaves because he realizes that he accidentally made a damn virus that's spreadable through saliva that's just the demon now just spreads through multiple people nice <laughs> nice and i kind of like i do remember now um it must just slip my mind but i do remember that ending now and it's just it's so interesting. That's another thing why I love Wreck is that it's not just a straightforward zombie film. Like mm -hmm. I said, it had like this whole other like, and I love possession as well, and I love a cult, and I love all this kind of stuff. I just, lo I just love Wreck. I just love it. I think everyone should watch it. Like they just need to watch it. <laughs> it's such a cool twist too. Like if you haven't seen Wreck and we just spoiled it for you, it doesn't matter. Go watch it because the way they reveal this shit, you're still gonna go like, what? It's still yeah. like, it's yeah. such a weird 180 turn that isn't obscene or you know mm. like it totally fits the vibe of the rest of the yeah. film enough. yeah and it's just disturbing yeah and the end shot is just so fucking scary so here's the problem another big problem quarantine the cover art is that shot yes um <laughs> what is that all about yeah it's oh what's her name it's like deborah from dexter isn't it Oh yeah, Jennifer Carpenter. That's it, right? Yeah. And it's just her face. Yeah, I I remember seeing the poster for it, but yeah, that kind of spoils it. It, it severely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the end uh, shot is just pure horror gold. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a lot of gold in this movie. I think my favorite moment in the entire film is when they're just when they first discover that the doors are closed to the mm -hmm. front door. And as they're talking, this guy just goes, yeah, boom, and just slams down on the ground. Yeah. It yeah. never fails to shock the hell out of me because I get so sucked into what the people are talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think of the found footage element? Do you think that it um, it makes sense? <laughs> well, just because <laughs> of the experience that I saw with mm -hmm. the, you know, the real life account of 9-11, I've yeah. at least seen why somebody would do this yeah what i really appreciated in this movie is a we have somebody who's annoying enough to do it so both <laughs> both movies like heather and angela are severely annoying in yeah. and obsessed with cameras yeah uh, obsessed with looking like good documentarians yeah and because of that it works but also the fact that you're dealing with the police are seemingly using some sort of power play. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's, a, it's the equivalent of whipping out your phone because a cop walks by. Yeah. So yeah. I really appreciated that they actually had the rest of the apartment block just like, no, you fucking film this. Like, don't put yeah. that camera down. Yeah. Uh, I think by the end, they stretched it a bit. There were moments at a certain point that I'm like, Pablo, put it down and go get that guy off the floor. Like, yeah, you're such a I think they said at one point, wasn't it like, we need the light from the camera and that's why yeah. we're, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. Um, there was no point at which I was like, why are they still shooting? Why are they still shooting? You know, it just made sense. And they mm. laid that groundwork. Like you said, they laid it you know, it was a very brief moment where they were like, okay, we're going to record this because we want people to see. But it was just, 
Perfect. I love Wreck. Would you recommend Wreck to people? Again, absolutely. Maybe watch the Blair Witch Project first if you haven't got there, just to kind of ease yourself into the shaky cam yeah. without a lot of running because there's yeah. a lot of running in Wreck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think like if anyone was tired of the zombie trope, this <clears throat> is the film for them. Yeah, it did it for me. I'm not a big zombie fan and Wreck is yeah. one of the few zombie movies that I just find super watchable. Yeah, same. So the big question is, if you were to choose one of them, <sighs> which one would you choose over the other? Hmm. Okay, I, I got to think a little bit because <laughs> is, is it the nostalgia that's going to drive me here? Mm -hmm. Is it... I? Mm, I'm going to say the Blair Witch Project okay. for a multitude of reasons. Mm -hmm. One of the main reasons is because the filmmaking is so on point. There are things they have done in that movie that no other found footage movie that I have seen for the mm -hmm. record has done. Things such as, you know, they have the two camera systems. So you have one that's black mm -hmm. and white. You have one that's a handheld. And they will use the audio from one, but they will show the video footage of the other yeah. as if it's like a police crew had to just assemble a cut yeah work those details are what makes it feel so real to me because you have broken footage slapped together to make it seem like it's more cohesive whereas wreck is more like a broken up one take mm -hmm. um that's not the only reason but that on top of just the way they made it knowing that these people have <laughs> are legitimately freaked out in some instances yeah uh, and you can see it i just think that I'm a big folk horror kind of person, uh -huh. so that will always edge it just a little bit for me. You, you, you make more found footage folk horror movies. I want to see that. Yeah, it's kind of strange that they haven't. Um, there was um, a film called The Borderlands mm. um, that also touched on the folk horror element okay. and was found footage as well. Um, and that was really, really good. But yeah, you think there would be more folk horror because of the way that we do have these little documentaries yeah. um like there's loads on amazon prime about like little small town kind of folklores and all that so it's kind of it's funny how they haven't done that um for me it's really hard because i'd agree with you with the blair witch but I fucking love wreck so much um <laughs> and <laughs> I, I think the reason i like it is because i watch seven or eight horror films a week wow. right i watch a shitload of horror and it's like okay yeah 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 but wreck was like a fucking punch in the face <laughs> where i was just it like is. holy shit like this is reignited you know it's like that once in a lifetime film that kind of comes around and reignites not that i ever stopped loving horror obviously <laughs> but it just it sparks that little bit of like mm -hmm. fuck yeah like this is really good um and so for that reason i'm gonna go with wreck all right yeah i can love wreck um i feel it's a perfect double feature so it really, really is isn't it yeah i was so happy when we came to the conclusion of wreck yeah. i was like yes oh it's perfect <laughs> it. so curated it now <laughs> um so are there any other found footage films that you'd recommend well we've already mentioned host which is mm -hmm. just so fucked up people should watch it yeah um You've already covered this movie, and this is the one that I recommended, that the only other movie I feel that has come close to doing the types of things that the Blair Witch Project did was Lake Mungo. <sighs> that one, because it's a mockumentary yeah. inside of a found footage, inside of a personal diary, yeah. just, geez, that movie. Also, it shows the power of emotion that you can have when yeah. you're trying to show real people. Yeah. I think The Last Exorcism doesn't get enough credit. Okay. That's a really fun movie. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is kind of like the Conjuring Universe take on a found footage movie. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of cheap jump scares and stuff in it, but I just think that the premise of it's really fun and the scares are legit. So that one, I could say people should reevaluate. Yeah. Um, there's only one other. Um uh found footage film that i'm kind of thinking of and i think it was was it hell house llc, LLC. is that about the the scare they're going around mm -hmm. there's like a, yeah they're going around trying to find like haunted attractions yeah. and then something really weird happens and the only reason that sticks out in my head is there's um a person that has like this doll mask on Ugh. 
and she like she follows them around everywhere and for some reason that just really creeped me out um mm-hmm. and plus i really love the subject of haunted attractions and like yeah. scare actors i love them um so i really i quite enjoyed that film that really creeped me out a bit um but yeah wh- what do you think is the future of uh found footage films oh the future is pretty vibrant i'd say uh, we mm. you know we've had the zoom era so i think that's kind of tapped i think host yeah. did that so well that perfect we're gonna see a lot of copycats i'm sure we're gonna get some unfriended sequels out of this but yep. i think that we're probably gonna get more stuff like somebody with their cell phone mm-hmm. just maybe getting in like a car wreck or something going out in the woods yeah. or indeed you know i would probably predict people doing little documentaries with mm-hmm. their own equipment and personal small personal stuff i think is where we're going to go with it if it's going the way it's been going at least yeah but you know uh found footage and i i have to say i did not learn that i learned this like this year so this is not like my own knowledge but i learned this a lot from uh, actually uh mary beth McAndrews. she if if y'all don't know who that is, please check out Mary Beth on Twitter if you mm-hmm. want to hear about some found footage knowledge. Uh, but she spoke in a symposium about how found footage is all about exploring the fear of technology that we have. So wherever yeah. you see technology going, that's kind of where found footage is about to head. So yeah. maybe we're getting like computer chips in the brain, <laughs> stuff with your vision. Maybe we'll yeah. get something like, a, oh, what was the name of it? Uh, the Black Mirror kind of. Yeah, like Black Mirror, but what was the the Lee Wano film that he did before The Invisible Man? I have not seen it yet. Oh, oh, I'm adding myself now. <laughs> the guy's like kind of like a, a robot, like cyborg, because he has a chip in his brain. But you know, um, <laughs> there's also uh, they did a segment, and I think it was VHS two, where you have somebody who has an implant in their eye. Yes, yeah. It from their eye. I think we're gonna get more stuff like that as well. Okay. Um, a lot of creativity. I'm hoping more folk horror. But yeah, who knows? We're seeing a lot of supernatural horror with it. It mm-hmm. seems to work really well with ghosts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we wrap up here, I always ask my guests, what is your favorite horror film? <sighs> ah, I don't <laughs> I don't have a single favorite horror film. Um I'm gonna use my de facto answer for this one then. It's gonna uh that'd be Pan's Labyrinth. Okay. I like I said, I love folk horror. I love fairy mm-hmm. tales, and there, Del Toro to me is just a perfect filmmaker. Yeah. In even movies of his that I don't love the subject matter of, mm-hmm. he's still good at what he does. But Pan's Labyrinth, I think, is the perfect amalgamation of genres. Yeah. And the horror in it, I think, is just as strong as any of the rest of the genres to it. Yeah. And I think it tells horror in a way that I tend to see and analyze horror, but it's there on the surface. So that's why I really mm-hmm. like it. It's an easy watch for me. Yeah, I love Pan's Labyrinth. It's just like you were saying, you know, your podcast is about beautiful horror films. <laughs> there's no there's no more beautiful than Pan's Labyrinth. It was episode one. Was it? Okay. <laughs> but yeah, the, the creature with like that scene with the creature with the, the hands, ah, yes. and the eyes, just the setting of that is just gothic, mm-hmm. like, fabulousness it's just stunning and i think del toro just has one of those minds that i just want to get my fingers into and just (laughs) physically if i could just siphon it (laughs) right right i know that sounds really weird i just want to put my fingers in his brain (laughs) shuffle around a bit um yeah but everything i mean like i wasn't the biggest fan of like um oh what was one shape of water oh Oh really? Oh, I love it. But but I can see why somebody might not. But visually, yeah, stunning, absolute fucking stunning. And I could still watch it, and I could still appreciate it. And that's one thing you know I find with a lot of directors where you're like, oh, I don't really like that film of theirs. I can't watch it. Whereas mm-hmm. Del Toro, I just I go to a Del Toro film to watch it to actually mm-hmm. watch it, and I think he's a master. Yeah, if somebody can suggest your least favorite Del Toro film and be like, hey, you want to watch Blade 2? And you'd be like, yes. Sure. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yes, yeah. we'll watch that. 
or like Hellboy, I'd be like, eh, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, all right. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I, I loved it. It was a great conversation. Ah, thank you so much. Thank you for discussing one of my favorite subgenres of horror. Oh, absolutely one of mine as well. So this was an equally enjoyable conversation. <laughs> okay. So that was my chat there with Chandler Bullock about the subgenre that is found footage. Now, whether you love it or you hate it, it has become one of those like pinnacle horror moments. Um, and you know what? It's a great subgenre for like indie filmmakers or people just starting off uh, making films because it's so easy to kind of make. And I think it's, I think it's great. I love found footage. Um, fight me. So myself and Chandler, we talked about the Blair Rich Project from 1999 and Rex from 2007. So I hope you enjoyed our chat. Um, if you have anything to say, get in touch with us on Instagram or Facebook at What a Scream podcast and um, i'm on twitter at what underscore scream um, apart from that i hope everyone has been enjoying um candyman um maya da costa's candyman i really hope that you are enjoying the discourse on it i haven't seen it yet which is a bit because i'm actually waiting for my friends to come off of holiday so I can go see it with them because I'm not I've been put on an embargo and I'm not allowed to go see it before they're back from holiday. Um but yeah, and don't forget that it is Naya DeCosta's, it's not Jordan Peele's. Let's just join that. And also for all these people that are like, eh, let's keep politics and socioeconomic issues out of horror. If you think that, you obviously don't know what horror is about. Okay, horror is political, it's always been political, it's always been about socioeconomic issues. Um, horror's always had something to say. And if you don't think that, then like you're you're batting for the wrong team here. Okay. Welcome to my TED talk. Um, but yeah, as always, I hope you are staying horrific and goodbye. Christmas, 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 Christmas.